You're listening to the Pimp Cron Podcast. What's going on, people? It's episode 93 of the Pimp Cron Warhammer Podcast. And tonight, the real talk is, am I a fanboy? I don't know if I am or not. We'll decide that during that segment. And that kind of leads into my questions about all of the complaining around 9th edition 40k that was just kind of sneak peek leaked. And we will discuss that there. We also have a Tesseract mailbox featuring a guy named Tony. And he asks about the new class that has been um, referenced about from the new Brutality Skirmish Wargame rulebook that is coming out. It's a brand new class that has never been seen on the tabletop, minus, you know, me and my playtesters, etc. We also have a Want That or Want That Not with another old model. I had so much fun doing the Deadwalkers last week that I decided to do Skyla from the Corn line of models from Age of Sigmar, and we will discuss Skyla and whether or not that holds up and whether or not the price tag is right, And what did they do on the website that changed Skyla? And it kind of has me scratching my head. So we'll get into all of that. What have I been up to this week? Well, not a whole hell of a lot of anything because this is the busiest weekend of my entire year and it's been crazy. So as far as hobbying, I previously last week, I finished my Borg squad. I don't know if I mentioned this last episode or not. Because I don't remember exactly when I did it. That's how this week has been. So I think this week I finished my Borg Warband with all of my drones and my queen and whatnot for brutality. I also think this week I pretty much finished my Starfleet away team for brutality, which has me very excited. And I know I talked about it last week because I discussed the whole thing where I could not get the mold release agent off no matter how hard I tried until I eventually used a toothbrush. Other than that, I have not had a whole lot of time for hobbying and I've certainly not been playing any games, which hopefully that will change soon. Hopefully our new, our store will be able to open up and actually allow us to play. They are currently not allowed to let us play yet, so... We will hopefully be able to bring the group all back together. You know, it is, it's funny because you make all these friendships and things like that. And it was really, really nice. I actually happened to see my friend Tim while he was working the other day. And yes, we kept our distance, but I hadn't seen Tim in, wow, how long has it been now? How long has this whole thing been going on? Like two months? I hadn't seen my friend Tim in two months. And I've known this guy for. Uh, 10 years as long as he got into Warhammer just when I got into Warhammer we've been playing ever since him and his son TJ and it was just it it kind of surprised me how happy I was to see him because you know you, you get used to seeing these people every single week and then all of a sudden you don't see them for a long time and you kind of forget that you miss your friendships and you miss your group and all of that so um, seeing Tim, it was really nice. We talked for a little while and, um, it's a really cool feeling. It, it gave me hope that, you know, hopefully the group can get back together soon and we can kind of get back to normal. Who knows if we can or not, but it would be really nice. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. 
On this edition of the Tesseract Mailbox, we have a letter from Tony via pimpcron at gmail.com. It reads, Yo dog, I saw you mention a new class on the Facebook page. Uh, I, I should say he's referring to the Brutality Facebook page, and there is a new class in the new book that we will be releasing. So that's what he's talking about. I saw you mention a new class on the Facebook page. When are we getting a sneak peek for that shit? Come on, man. Surely you can give up some details. You posted about a Borg Queen, and I really dug it. Enjoy the show. Looking forward to the Brutality book coming out. Tony. So thank you for writing in, Tony. I appreciate that. And thanks for joining our Facebook page. I, you know what? I think I will actually give you a slight rundown of exactly what this new class is. So the new class is called a Locus, and the Borg Queen is going to be that class, the Locus. And essentially what that does... Uh, if you play Age of Sigmar, you may be familiar with terrain features that actually buff armies or enhance spells or things like that. Well, the Locus is a pretty interesting trade-off, and I think it's highly, highly tactical. I don't really see newer players using the Locus as much as veteran players using it, but we'll see about that once it is open to the public. So the Locus is only one point. And it is actually in the same slot as a monster, which is, uh, the overarching class for that is a unique, because only one of them per army. So you can either have a monster, or you can have a locus, and you can only have, they're both unique units, so you can only have one unique unit, period. You can't have a locus and a monster, is what I'm trying to say, but I'm kind of blabbering. I'm not getting my thoughts together very well. The point is, is that the locus is... Many, many different things, depending on how you kit it out. So, what the Locust can do is that it is sessile, it is immobile, it cannot move for any reason, it cannot be teleported, cannot run, cannot charge, cannot move, nothing. It's essentially a terrain piece, but if you kit it out different ways, it doesn't have to be a terrain piece. So, it has certain base size requirements, it has to be X, you know, X amount big or whatever, maximum base sizes. And it has a lot of hit points, and it comes with two powers automatically, and of course it gets a model ability and two free model traits. The interesting thing about it is that once per turn, in addition to its regular activation where it could cast its powers or whatever, once per turn a player can remove a hit point from the Locus, and it can do a number of different things. It can make one of your faction trait feats available for a second use, which is pretty cool. The feats are essentially a once-per-game stratagem, is kind of a way to say that. And normally they're only allowed to be used by one model once per game, but this will allow you to use it for a second time. Not a third or fourth, but just a second time. It can also turn one of its allies' dice rolls into the number of its choosing, when hitting or saving or charging or whatever. So that is really cool. You can turn a hit into a critical hit. You can turn a miss into a critical hit. You can turn a save into a critical hit. Because why would you not choose the critical option when you have the choice? So that is really, really cool. If you really want something to go off, you can take a hit point off this baby. And you can give yourself critical hits. So it's really good when you stack it with other critical hits. Let's say you're charging in, you get two attacks, one's a critical hit. Well, you might as well make the other one a critical hit, and now you've got two attacks turning into four hits, or something of that nature. It can really, really save you. 
And I'm going to stop right there with uh, revealing everything about the Locust. It's got another ability, but suffice it to say that it is a really cool terrain piece sort of thing. It also gets six inches added to all of its powers ranges, which is a huge deal in Brutality. The board is only three foot by three foot. A normal power is 12 inches. All of these are 18-inch range powers, which is pretty cool. Another thing is the summon power, when I was playing with um, Beastman, my friend Josh, he was using it to use the summon power where you remove a hit point from them and you can produce like a spawn, you're summoning a creature. Well, he was producing um, Ungors all over the table, and that was pretty cool. It was like he was spawning it. And essentially, you could make a Turvagon model from Tyranids that spits out all the little Termagants. Essentially, you could make that into a Locust, and it would just keep summoning Termagants. And that's exactly how a Turvagon works anyway, normally. The only difference is it can't move, but whatever. And also, it's got a ton of hit points, so that would also fit with it. The Borg Queen that I did, what I get her to do is she heals the Borg drones and she gives them protect and she just generally buffs all the Borg drones, which is pretty cool. There's also some faction traits that really stack with the Locusts and the use of that, which is pretty neat. There's tons of ways to kit this thing out, and the models that you choose are completely up to you. So you could make it a Borg Queen like I did, make it an actual person. You could make it a terrain feature, such as a Herdstone for Beastmen, or you could make it a Turvagon spitting out babies. It really depends on what powers you give them and what other you know model abilities and model traits and all that that you use. So there is a whole new way to play. You know what? I'll say the third, the third thing, just for the sake of it. You ask, so I'll tell you. The third thing is you can remove a hit point from the Locust, and you can activate a second model right after you just activated a model, which is huge, super, super tactical. So if you really need this person to die, you charge him from one side, which of course will turn him around, then you take a hit point off your Locust, and you can shoot the person in the back if you had a ranged person behind him or whatever. There's a lot of lot of different things that are useful with a Locust, but it takes a little higher level of skill and understanding of the game versus the other models. Like, the monster is pretty straightforward. It, it does its thing, and of course you can kit it out different ways as well, but it's pretty it's much more obvious in how it works. The Locust, on the other hand, cannot move, so it's not scoring objectives, it's not praying, or it's not looting, or whatever, and it's not even great in close combat, and it can't charge. But what it can do is give you tons of tactical abilities that you normally could not do, and if your opponent is not taking a Locust, they can't do those things. But the trade-off for that is, if they don't take a Locust, they have an extra point to spend on a model that, yes, can't buff other people necessarily, but can score points and can move and have board control and things like that. So, it's very exciting for me, and um, I think it's a really cool addition to the game, and thank you, Tony, for asking about it, and I, too, am excited about the Brutality Skirmish Wargame rulebook that is coming out probably in June. So, that is it. Thanks for writing in. Want that, or want that not? In tonight's edition of Want That or Want That Nod, we are covering 
Skyla Anfengrim from Age of Sigmar and formerly Warhammer Fantasy Battles. He is part of the Corn faction for the Mortals of Chaos or the Slaves to Darkness or things like that. I think he's also part of a Chaos Demons army, I'm not positive, but he's in the uh, Blades of Corn book. And he is essentially kind of like a crazy Chaos spawn. Now, a lot of people don't know a lot about these named characters that used to actually have more meaning back in the day when they were in fantasy, because it seems like GW has kind of watered down a lot of their personalities. He kept his name, Skyla Anfengrim, and of course they kept the model, and he looks really cool, but if you actually read the description, it's almost like they had an intern uh, write this description for the model on their website, because it says that there is a metal collar of corn, and it hangs from his neck. Well, even a passing glance can uh, would show you that the collar of corn is actually embedded in his neck, as if it's actually growing out of his neck. There's several spots where there is actually skin stretched over the brass collar of corn around his neck. So, I don't know who exactly wrote that description, which I just thought was kind of odd for their own web store. They're like, oh yeah, a brass collar of corn hangs around his neck. Well, it's not hanging around his neck, it's coming out of his neck. But, whatever, I guess that's kind of petty. What we're here to talk about is, do I like the model or not? Well, first off, there is a bit of information about him that I actually think is pretty cool. He was essentially one of the best warriors that ever, ever, ever fought in the name of Korn. Killed tons of people. He had no martial match. He just slaughtered people left and right. And he kept getting these mutations and going up higher and higher in the ranks of Korn. Well, the Blood God gave him a visit and essentially was going to bestow upon him Demon Princehood. And unfortunately, this very last mutation was just too much for Skyla's mortal body, and he turns into this Chaos Spawn. Well, the Chaos Spawn is, this is a different version of any Chaos Spawn you've ever seen. He's completely unique, and his model is actually pretty darn cool. The Blood God saw that he turned into a Chaos Spawn, so then he made him the most brutal, efficient, murdering Chaos Spawn that ever has lived. And it ended up turning Skyla into, instead of one of the kind of chunky with tentacles Chaos Spawn that we always see, he turned him into a giant gorilla-looking Chaos Spawn. So he's got huge arms and huge hands that are far too big for him. He has kind of smaller feet. Think of a mountain gorilla or a silverback, something like that, where they've got kind of the smaller legs and the giant forearms. And uh, that's essentially what Skyla is. And even in his face kind of looks a bit simian. And he's got tufts of fur in some areas. And his feet almost look like chicken feet. But I don't think that was the intention. And he's like charging towards someone. Pretty much leaping in the air towards somebody. On just one foot. It's got a lot of motion to it. A lot of emotion to the model. And he's got a corn brand on his chest. He's got a corn trinket hanging from his embedded collar. And it's a pretty cool model. I know this is fine cast now. I actually own this model. And it, I believe, stands the test of time. I don't know how old this model is exactly. But I definitely think it is cool. 
And what actually makes it even cooler for me is knowing the backstory of this model. Because it's funny, once again, whatever intern they had doing this, um, it's funny because they don't really refer to any of his past whatsoever. Like, this is the past they give to him, okay? Um, his monster strength is enough to tear a Drakoth in two with his bare hands, and sorcery can gain no purchase against his heavy collar, radiating Korn's eternal contempt for spellcasters, it imbues him with immunity, Skyla knows no mercy or fear, only hatred and fury. Okay, that's cool. Does not mention at all about the whole, you know, he couldn't handle the demon princedom, became a chaos spawn, Korn gave him this, blah blah blah. It's just weird to me, because... If I'm just looking at the model alone, I'm like, yeah, that's a pretty cool model. I would like to have it. He looks like he is about to leap on someone and tear them apart with his giant hands. But when I actually found out the backstory of the model, I was like, oh, wow, this is even cooler. <laughs> I had no idea. And um, I don't know. I think they feel like the, I feel like they're doing a bit of a disservice to the model when they do that. But uh, I forgot to mention that he also has a tail and the tail has a mouth. It looks like some sort of, I'll say an eel, um, coming out the back of him, and, um, as far as older Warhammer Fantasy battle models go, it, this is pretty cool, this is very, very cool, a lot of them were very static and things like that, but I guess because he was a named character, they went ahead and actually gave him a really cool pose, and, uh, you will completely believe that he is about to lunge at someone else's model and rip their head off. Now, this is an interesting price point for this thing, okay? 50 US dollars for the Skyla Antingrim. And I'm very much on the fence about it. I happened to get mine from Just James as a Christmas present, so I did not pay the $50 for the Skyla Antingrim, but it really makes me on the fence whether or not I would pay $50 for it. Because at this point, he is Skyla in name alone and mod alone. He's not, you know, he doesn't have any of his backstory as he previously did in Fantasy Battle. So, yes, he's kind of a beat stick in close combat. Yes, he's got some interesting things. He doesn't have any sort of buffing characteristics. He's, I don't know, $50 seems a bit much for him. He is arguably better than a Korgrath, I think, but... I am not entirely sure about the $50 price tag. I could definitely see 40 Definitely. 60 would be a completely no-go for me. So I guess GW is doing a good job of pushing me right to the edge of going, oh, I don't know if I'd pay $50 for this or not. Instead of, wow, I'm definitely not paying 60 for it. So all in all, this is a very cool model. This would be a cool model even if you wanted to kitbash him as something else, a Hellbrute or something like that, because it's essentially Hellbrute size, and he comes on a, I believe, a 60 millimeter base, so that's Hellbrute size, and uh, he's pretty cool. Man, give this dude some wings and make him a demon prince, and that's kind of ironic and kind of fitting because that's what he always wanted to be, right? So make him a wicked-looking demon prince with some wings. If uh, you're going to use it in 40k, or even in Age of Sigmar, honestly, I just gave myself an idea. That's a pretty cool idea, although I already have him painted and all. I could get another one. But see, then you got the issue of two models with the same pose. Ah, I'm digressing. Alright, this is definitely a want that for me, and it is oh, right on the edge of my budget for this model. But it is definitely a want that. Go check it out.
Hey everybody, it's the Pimpcron, and today I've got a product that you did not know that you could not live without. That's right. Becoming a patron on Patreon for the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast is everything you've ever wanted. We guarantee that it will clean up your spills, make your whites whiter, teach your dog tricks, and take you to the edge and even clean up afterwards. That's right. It's everything you could ever want in a product ever. Just go to patreon.com slash and pledge your allegiance to the almighty Kron today. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimp Kron. Alright, this is what I want to talk about tonight. Okay, guys? I had an article a couple weeks ago about are you a fanboy or are you not a fanboy? And I want to clear up whether or not I'm a fanboy by certain standards before I go into a rant about people complaining about <laughs> Warhammer 40k 9th edition which has just been leaked or revealed. So first off, I would say a fanboy is somebody that is always 100% and I'm talking about in its purest form a fanboy. 100% the defender of a property or a company and always loves everything they put out and is just essentially in love with it. I mean, I I know there's other connotations with it. There's some fanboys that are really, you know, grognards or neck breathers or neck <laughs> neck beards or mouth breathers or whatever. Or neck breathers. I don't I guess they could have a tracheotomy. But my point is is that I am strictly using the definition of somebody that is 100% in love with a company or property, which means they will defend them if there's an argument, they will always go to the defense of this company, uh, things like that, because I am not going to go into all the negatives of being a quote-unquote fanboy, because it seems like everyone's got a different definition of exactly what fanboy is. So, I would have to say, if I had to list the things that I am a fanboy of, first and foremost, even more than Warhammer, believe it or not, I am a Star Trek fanboy. I have loved Star Trek. I grew up on Star Trek. My cousins, when I was only, geez, nine years old, eight years old, introduced me to Star Trek The Next Generation, and I have loved it all of these years, and I 100% love it. I would even say that I know much more about Star Trek than I know about the lore of 40K. I can list all sorts of ships, all sorts of captains, the actors' names. The one thing I've never been good at is episode numbers or names. People, you know, the comic book guy or whatever in, in Simpsons will be like, Oh, episode 7 of season 6, you said blah blah blah. I've never been good with that. I'm a little too practical for that nonsense. But as far as different classes of ships and enemies and pretty much the lore of the Romulan War and the you know eugenics wars and all the stuff about Star Trek, I've got so many books, reference books about Star Trek, how the you know ships work and all the technological things and all of that. So I would definitely say that out of any property possible, I will come to the defense of Star Trek. I will support Star Trek. I absolutely love Star Trek. Now, that comes a little bit with a caveat. I'm not 100% on everything they've ever done. Clearly, um, if you know, uh, what is it, Alamorain, I think it was. I think it's Alamorain is a stupid-ass episode 
of Deep Space Nine. If any of you know that, you will definitely go, oh yeah, that's terrible. And, uh, I mean, there's been some pretty terrible movies Star Trek's made and things like that. I'm not so in love with them that I can't see that they're not always the best, but all in all, I do love Star Trek. I think the second thing that I am a fanboy for would be 40K or Warhammer in general, because I also love Age of Sigmar. And where I really love that is kind of the whole community and the environment and the people and the game and the game mechanics and the miniatures and all that. But unlike Star Trek, I'm not really up on the whole lore of Warhammer. I know I I know the Chaos Gods, I know generic things, but I'm never one of the people that like read all the Horus Heresy novels or something like that. I just don't do that. Um, that being said, just like with the Star Trek thing, I guess I'm not a true fanboy for anybody because just like I realized that some people have done some pretty stupid crap with Star Trek, there is also some things about Warhammer that are pretty stupid and I don't agree with them. But a caveat to my caveat is that you got to take everything with a grain of salt. And I got too much in my life to really care what GW does, as long as I don't think they're doing some horrible thing to completely ruin the hobby. And I really don't think that they've done that. Their track record in recent years has actually been pretty darn good as far as you know, coming out with new models and expanding the game and getting new players in and opening up skirmish games so that you can get people to start, you know, a small force of an army so that you grow it and the introduction to start collecting and all of that. GW has completely done away 180 compared to even five years ago. Five years ago, they were still the old GW. Now they are completely new GW. So I guess what I'm getting at is that I do not, before anybody says, oh, you're just a fanboy, I am not just a fanboy. I really do like Warhammer and Games Workshop, for that matter, for the most part, but I am not a 100% apologist for them. Now, in my articles over the years, I've been called an apologist, I've been called a fanboy, in the most negative of terms. I've also been called a GW hater. So which one is it, people? I don't know. I guess it's for them to decide. The point is, is that I am hearing a ton of gnashing of the teeth and anger towards this 9th edition 40k, and they are nitpicking every single little thing, and honestly, I'm fine with the proposed changes that I've heard so far, some of the leaked stuff, I mean, whatever, honestly... Part of it is you have to be an adult and you have to go, okay, this is a game. I enjoy the game. I enjoy it now. You know, something that people don't often think about is if you're enjoying the game right now the way it is right now, who's to say you're not going to like it in some other fashion? It's like you have a bias towards what you already know. It's kind of like the whole nostalgia thing with our childhood. You kind of like certain things just because you know them from your past or you're used to those things. It is... For example, my brother Brew Brew, has, who has been on the show, he is five years younger than me, and when Barney the Purple Dinosaur came out in the early 90s, I was too old to like Barney, and I thought it was stupid. But my brother loved Barney the Big Purple Dinosaur, and for him, there may be some sort of good nostalgic feeling about Barney the Purple Dinosaur, you know, but I don't share that, so... That is what I'm talking about here. There's tons of people that have nostalgia for previous editions of Warhammer. And then there's the new players that just joined in 8th edition. And they're like, oh, I like 8th edition. 
they have nothing to miss because they have no connection to the past and that's totally fine. So when people start complaining about a new edition or, oh, I'm not looking forward to this or blah, 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 it's just based on their familiarity with how things are right now. It doesn't mean that they can't improve, things can't get better. Honestly, I think 8th edition is the best edition we've had so far. I did really like 5th edition when I started. 6th and 7th were kind of meh, didn't like them, they were pretty messy. But 8th edition is pretty well streamlined, it is pretty much good. Like, of course, everyone has a couple complaints here or there, but all in all, I'm happy with 8th edition, and I look forward to seeing what they do for 9th edition. So I wanted to share something that was kind of funny that I saw online, and it is someone that is completely nitpicking the logo for the new edition of 40k, and I think it's pretty ridiculous. Here's the person's post. They share the new version of the Warhammer 40k logo, and they say, Did you already talk about the new logo? I'm usually okay with changes, and I think it's a good thing to move on once in a while, so I don't think that a change is always wrong, but I see a couple of problems here. A logo should represent what is, a what is I guess what they mean, is what it is about and values. Where is the dark, far future in here? What about the gothic atmosphere? This logo looks more like some Star Wars Imperium-related thing to me. Maybe because of the red lasers? The bluish-gray? Really, I don't feel any Warhammer 40k-related atmosphere with this logo. And number two, the logo is not centered. If you have to change, why not center the logo on the A? Well, number one, I'm going to answer your second question first, because you're obviously stupid, okay? The A is not centered because, while it may be the center letter of the word Warhammer, anybody with half of a human brain that is functioning could tell that not all letters are the same width. Wow, that might actually affect where letters sit in the center of the logo. So the same people that are saying, oh, the A should be, they're saying the A in the middle of Warhammer should be the center mark. They could not be more off base. While some fonts have the same size, width, or the same space for every single letter, other fonts don't. This font, you can clearly see the W or the M is wider than the E. They're just different letters. They have different widths. You can't just say because the A is the center one that the there will be the same width length on both sides. The W-A-R-H and the M-M-E-R are going to be the same length because they're not going to be. They're not the same length letters. That's not the type of font they've gone with. So first off, you're stupid if you think the A should be in the center because it's not. Second off, I've seen people that are commenting on how there is an inner, hmm, what am I going to call this? Uh, an Aquila, I guess. There's an inner tracing, there's an inner tracing of the Warhammer 40k word. Then there's the outer outline, and the, both ends are at different angles. Well, okay. <laughs> Everyone's freaking out about this logo, and... I'm thinking to myself, okay, it's a it's a new logo. I think it looks pretty neat. I uh, really don't have any opinion either way about it. I think it's all right. And people are saying that the A needs to be centered, which is completely incorrect. And they are saying that they don't like the red lines under the word Warhammer, which I'm like, okay, whatever. And they're saying that the angles being different on both ends of the Aquila and the intersection are 
different angles and that angers them, which I'm like, oh my God, what, what else do you have going on in your life? Certainly you've got some bills to pay or a job to go to or a loved one to support or, I mean, seriously, this is a logo for a game. It has nothing to do with literally anything. So grow up for five minutes and just deal with it. It's a stupid logo. So then I'm going to get to the point where he says, the logo's not grimdark. It's not grimdark enough. And I'm thinking to myself, it is a logo, and who cares? I don't understand how the logo has to specifically... You know what the logo says to me? The logo says military. It says maybe slightly futuristic and military. That's all it needs to say. It's a war game set in the future. Okay. I just don't understand all the anger behind this. It is a slightly lighter palette, a slightly lighter color palette for this logo than previous. But I, 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 sometimes at a loss of words, because I just don't care. I could not, you could not pay me to care about this new logo of Warhammer 40k. I just don't. And for all the people that are worried about all oh, the addition change, all these different changes, blah, blah, blah. The word on the street that I heard from my good friend Derek, and this is unsubstantiated on my end, so this could just be hearsay, is that all of the codexes are still going to be valid. All the supplements are still going to be valid. So that means they could not be fun fundamentally changing the rules super drastically, kind of like, you know, from 7th edition to 8th edition is a huge change because of the way things, you know, in Melee you have a fixed hit probability and you're not comparing weapon skill and blah 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 so it seems to me like this can't be a huge huge change maybe certain units act differently or whatever but it is definitely not a complete from the ground up reformatting so once again people calm down and the reason why I brought up the whole fanboy thing in the very beginning is because I wanted to kind of set the tone that I am not a complete apologist for GW not a huge fanboy, and I'm not just apologizing for this. If you're one of these people infuriated by a damn logo, I honestly don't think I'm equipped to help you. You need to sort out whatever problems are going on in your life and just deal with it. Because seek some help, seek some therapy, something. Because it's just, man, the whining is top-notch now. It is turned up to 11, and it's a little irritating. I am not going to get too much into the new Necron models because, of course, that will be saved for a want that or want that not when they come out. But I do have to say I do like a lot of the stuff that I've seen leaked, and I am pretty excited about it. So as a final thought for this segment, I just want you all to keep things into perspective. And with all the crazy crap going on in the world right now, I think the last thing you need to be doing is getting your dander kicked all up over a War Games logo or the new edition of a war game. Okay? Now, the one valid thing that I did see that kind of tickled me is that the new Primaris bikes look like they have a very low clearance underneath of them. And some guy drew some diagrams of the <laughs> the motorcycle and essentially it's stuck on just a rock because the rock lodged itself between where the two wheels could clear it. So it would have like its back wheel on the ground and its front wheel up in the air and the guy's just looking sad. It kind of made me laugh because I don't know why. Well, first off, motorcycles are a stupid idea in the future anyway. So it's purely just some sort of Akira 
cool, hey, I'm on a motorcycle vibe is the only reason why we even have motorcycles in Warhammer 40k, period. Now, jet bikes are a different story, but actual motorcycles are kind of ridiculous. So, I think it's pretty funny when they do point out that the clearance on these bikes is so, so low. It's it's just kind of funny. It's not me hating on it, I just think it's funny. Anyway, well, thanks for listening to the Pimpcron Warhammer podcast, and if you'd like to support us, please go to patreon.com and find Pimpcron and support the show. And thank you all for your support. Those of you who do help pay for our domain name and our storage space with Podbean and all of that, because that junk is not cheap. In order for all of the episodes to be available for everybody forever, they charge me a considerable amount of money each year. And you guys donating help me keep all of the episodes available to everybody. Because if you're using like a free account with no storage from like one of these suppliers like Podbean or whatever, they only keep like your last five or ten episodes is all they keep. Actually, I think it's by the hour. And our hours, our episodes are like 45 minutes each. So I don't know how many episodes we'd have exactly. But it is 100% the Patreon people who pay for the storage so that all of you new listeners or old listeners can go back and listen to the past 92 episodes of this show in the last two years, and that is a pretty awesome thing. So, I appreciate all of you, thank you for listening, and I will see you next week.